T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for... What is it? Tuesday, August 22nd, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to speak to Joe Plensler from the American Legion on a number of topics, including the recently announced cancellation or at least delay of the military parade proposed by President Trump and so much more that's going on over at the American Legion, whose national convention starts in just two days out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can go to ConnectingVets.com and find a list of, uh, you know, five items of note that are happening among a litany of events taking place out at that convention. And then we're going to replay our interview with Shah Chowdhury from Assault Forward. He's an Army veteran who started a company for those looking to wear a little something patriotic, but who can't wear, let's say, your Ranger Up or Grunt-style T-shirt or your military ball cap to work. For those who are wearing your suits and things like that into the office, well, Assault Forward came up with something that you might like to put on your work uniform, as it were, to denote that you are someone who served in the military. We'll talk to him about that, about the business idea, and about how they were careful not to overextend themselves. Basically put an initial investment in of a couple thousand dollars, and since then haven't had to put any more money into the company. They're just taking money out of it, money that they're making from a great business idea. So Shah Chowdhury is coming up a little bit later on in the show, the American Legion before that. And before both of those, Super Producer Jake Hughes. Good morning, Jake. How are we doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm okay. I can't complain. I actually got a decent night's sleep last night. I normally don't sleep as well when my uh, wife is out of town as she is this week, but last night I was so tired and it was pouring rain. Yeah, here just too pouring rain all night long. I left uh, work just a little bit early yesterday because I had to take my son to a kindergarten assessment. I don't know exactly what that (laughs) contained because I had to wait out in the hall and they said he did fine. So that made me happy. But uh, I had to leave a little bit early and thank goodness I did because man, it was pouring to the point where a lot of people put on their hazard lights and moved over into the uh, the far right lane. I well, didn't have to do that. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't exactly that bad. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the rain helps me sleep. And man, I wanted to go to sleep earlier than I did yesterday. Unfortunately, when you've got a little guy, you've got to make sure that uh, that little guy is uh, taken care of and in bed before you. As I put on Twitter last night, and if you're interested in following either of us on Twitter, you can. I'm at Eric Dame, and that's E-R-I-C-D-E-H-M, and Jake is at Jake the Army Guy. You can check us out on the Twitter. I tweeted last night that my son came down saying that he was scared from bed. Normally, I tell him to get his little butt back up into bed. There's nothing to be scared of. He's got me and, more importantly, a 70-pound dog downstairs keeping him safe. Uh, I asked him why he was scared, and he told me that yesterday when he was with the babysitter before I got home, they watched the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie. 
and I totally understood why he was scared. Yeah, that's some freaky stuff, man. Oh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty rough one. So, you know, I had to uh, had to give him a few minutes to you know calm down from that. Unfortunately, I learned last night Mike Myers doesn't appear to be on Twitter. I was going to be like, thanks, Mike Myers, for keeping <laughs> my get up at night. He's not on there, and I'm not sure who directed that film, uh, and I'm not sure that they want anyone to know that they directed that film nope. either. So, yeah, we uh, we we had one of those issues last night, but once he was finally in bed i got the garbage taken care of did some cleaning up went to sleep that was nice a basic day for me it appears that at least one day it wasn't so basic for united states representative duncan hunter marine Uh-oh. corps veteran did you hear about this story jake yeah i heard about it it's uh it's fun again fun stuff yeah it's pretty upsetting so apparently he is accused of using more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in funds raised for his campaign to finance trips for his family to Italy and Hawaii, golf outings, school tuition, theater tickets, even fast food purchases, and attempting to disguise that illegal spending for federal records. So the part of this story that really stuck out, and I saw Leo Shane from Military Times tweeting about this, he wanted to buy some Hawaiian shirts because I guess people still Why wear... Why wouldn't you want to buy a Hawaiian shirt? Well, I guess people still wear Hawaiian shirts occasionally. It's it's not my thing. It's certainly not Jake's, you know, as he's rocking the Iced Earth t-shirt this morning and has uh, a litany of cool t-shirts that you wear every day. Do you own any Hawaiian shirts? Yes, actually, I own one. because and I bought it at Party City because my uh, niece's first birthday was a luau uh, pool party. Ah, there so you go. I had my uh, Hawaiian t-shirt and I had my American flag swim trunks. Well, there you go. That works. And that's the thing about first birthdays is they're really more for the parents and attendees yeah. than for the kid because the kids aren't going to remember. Mine was at the VFW Hall. Uh, not mine. My son's first birthday. The VFW Hall in Huntington, Long Island, they allowed us to have it there uh, free of charge. We just had to pay for the catering. And then the, the bar was, of course, pay as you go for everybody who was there. Uh, it was, uh, I was going to say Doctor Who themed, but that's not correct. It was actually uh, Doctor Seuss themed, keeping in <laughs> with the Mike Myers cat in the hat. It was a less terrifying version of the dr seuss world uh, for his first birthday party but i digress when you got that hawaiian shirt at party city jake did you use uh funds that you raised for a political campaign to do so as a matter of fact i know <laughs> here's the second part of the question if you did do you think someone closely related to you ever would have suggested hey buy that someplace where you can say you were buying something for wounded warriors no because that's what happened with duncan hunter in these hawaiian shirts his wife who's also charged as we mentioned his wife said to him when he said he was going to go get uh hawaiian shirts and apparently this is in electronic communications a text or an email or something more than that sorry hawaiian shorts not shirts i don't even know what hawaii well that's fine then Maybe he just meant Hawaii shorts to wear on the trip that they illegally paid for, allegedly, uh, to go out there. His wife told him that he should buy them at a golf pro shop so that they could later describe the purchase as some golf balls for the wounded warriors. So buying shorts for his trip to Hawaii or shorts with a Hawaiian pattern on them, whatever the case may be, it's not clear. And then saying, no, 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 I was buying golf balls for the wounded warriors. This is a Marine Corps veteran. This is someone who served in Iraq and uh, apparently had no problem with doing that, according to this indictment. So uh, this is, oh man, just not good, uh, to to say the least. This is uh, really, really kind of infuriating. 
Here's a, a statement from the indictment. Throughout the relevant period, the hunters spent substantially more than they earned. They overdrew their bank account more than 1,100 times in a seven-year period, resulting in approximately $37,000 in overdraft and insufficient funds bank fees. Which raised another question for me. Politicians don't make a huge amount of money. Uh, you know, the president has a decent salary. I think it's like 400000 or something like that. Uh, the current president, of course, donated that salary because he's already got more money than he needs. So uh, as a, uh, a nice little uh, statement, he's donated it. And some of it's gone to veterans uh, organizations, I believe, and charities. There are a lot of politicians, though, who are worth a lot of money that weren't before they got into politics. What were the hunters doing wrong where they had to overdraw their account more than 1,100 times in a seven-year period? Think about that. That's more than, I mean, that's coming up on 200 times a year. That means you're in overdraft status at two-thirds of the year, two-thirds of the days of the year, two-thirds of uh, however many days there are in a year, I guess you could say, almost 200 times (laughs) a year. That is insane to me. That's like... That's E1 in the Navy or Army or Marine Corps or Air Force uh, not knowing how to balance their budget and spending all their money on uh, beer or whatever, where they end up eating nothing but top ramen for two weeks or sorry, a week and a half because they blew their entire paycheck in the first couple of days. That's not something you expect from a a United States representative. You would think this would be something that... uh, that they would have had a handle on or they would have figured out, but it appears not because this indictment has come down. Uh, not a good time for the family. And if all of this stuff in the indictment is true, uh, this is going to be a very bad time for that family. Yeah, I guess it goes to show you can take the Marine out of the core. You can't take the core out of the Marine. What do you mean by that? Just saying, I've heard a lot of stories from my friends in the Corps about dumb privates in the oh, Marine Corps. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think that, he there are an, dumb privates everywhere. Yeah. I think he was an officer, dumb though, wasn't he? Let's double check. I want. I think he was an officer, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, let's look him up and check out the old Wikipedia page and see what it tells us about his time. Well, he went to the University of San Diego State University, got his bachelor there. Yeah, he was on active duty from 2001 to 2005 and still currently serves in the reserves. He is a major 1st Battalion 11th Marines uh, and is a veteran of apparently both Afghanistan and Iraq. So this is, uh, man, yeah, this is just, just a bad story. Not someone that you would assume would do something like that, but again... When you assume, we all know what you do. So this is someone who, after September 11th, on September 12th, quit his job and joined the Marine Corps, according to what I'm reading here. Went to OCS at Quantico, graduated in March 2002, commissioned as a second lieutenant, uh, field artillery officer in the 1st Marine Division, uh, second tour in Fallujah in 2004, uh, 1st Battalion 11th Marines, participated in Operation Vigilant Resolve. Uh, 2005, he was honorably discharged from active duty, remained in the reserves. In 2007, recalled to active duty and deployed to Afghanistan in support of the war in Afghanistan. So this is someone who not only uh, has the income of a United States representative, and I don't know exactly how much they make. Let's let's check that out. How much? (laughs) This is the exciting part of radio when... uh, Oh, by the way, you should know your uh, your mother is very active in the comments. Yeah, it's very surprising. Very surprising <laughs> there. All hey, right. I respect you. 
Mrs. Stannard, Miss uh, Stannard, yeah, Miss Eric's mom. As do I, but this is uh, we're, we're focusing on something else here. Uh, the salary for most members of the House of Representatives, $174,000 a year. It's not chump change. It's a pretty decent amount. Um, and this is, uh, you would think, enough to live on for a family. I mean, that's, that's uh, again, a decent amount of money. That's more than we have coming into our household. Not only that, but this is also someone who was an officer in the Marine Corps, still serving in the reserves, so gets a little bit of money coming in from the reserves as well, but apparently was just so bad at budgeting or just as likely was living outside of their means. That's yeah. again something that we see with uh, with the young members of the military. I know as a as a E six, I saw it all the time as a first class, and you as a staff sergeant, I'm sure you did too. Where someone finally has a steady paycheck coming every two weeks on the first and the fifteenth of the month, and they spend it on the dumbest stuff you could imagine. There was a <laughs> there was a kid I know who had a barracks room that was maybe. 12 feet by 10 feet. I mean, we're talking a very small room who bought like a 90 inch television screen. It took up half of that room. I mean, like his bed had to be wedged over in the corner for him to get out of. He had to move things to watch the TV or even more likely the kids who went out and spent all their money on a brand new car when they were one typically living in the barracks, which is like, where, where do you need to drive? You can walk to work from where you are. Or living in a very cheap apartment out in town and their car payments would end up being more than their apartment. The recommendation I would always make to young sailors that I worked with was this. Get a nice place to live and a cheap car to get you there. Living in a nice place is much more. You're going to spend more time in that place than you are in the car. You know? So do it the right way. Here's the thing. We all know. Young sailors, young soldiers, young Marines, young airmen, they don't listen. Nope. Ah, what does that guy know? Nope. He's, he's been in for 10 plus years, but he doesn't know me, man. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, the rule I always had for my soldiers was if you're going to spend buy something that costs more than half your base pay, you have to come to me first. There you go. And I used to say... And I can't uh, I can't stop them, but I can tell them, dude, no. With the car thing, and I remember uh, particularly on board the USS Saipan, um, and then when I was in Jacksonville, we didn't have as many young sailors in Jacksonville because it was a recruiting command and you kind of had to be an E4, E5 to even get there. We would, uh, I would tell them, I'd be like, that's great that you got that beautiful new car that's char- that you're paying all that much a month for. That'll be a great thing for you to drive down to the payday loan center because you're going to need money every month and you're going to put yourself in debt. So don't say I didn't warn you. And just about every time I turned out to be correct. The same as people getting married to someone that they met out at a bar like two weeks ago. Just one of those things that it happens. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Sticking with the world of funds and crimes and the military and veteran community. Of course, Duncan Hunter, United States representative from California, has been indicted. Here's a man who's passed indictment. That's Richard Scott, also of California, Santa Monica specifically, has been sentenced to nearly six years in prison for conspiracy and wire fraud in order to pay the VA $12.6 million in restitution. You know how he was scamming the VA, Jake? How's that? There's a lot of ways to do it. There's you know, the people, we had the guy that we talked about last week who was putting in work orders for tools and stuff that, one, the VA never ordered, and two, were never delivered because, A, the VA never ordered them. 
this guy was operating parking lots for the Department of Veterans Affairs and ripped them off for $13 million and bribed the official who granted the parking contracts. He was the owner of West Side Service, LLC, and kept two sets of books for 15 years, stashing millions in unreported cash and millions more in overreported expenses, according to the AP. That's what the U.S. Attorney's Office has said in a statement. He then began bribing a contracting official named Ralph Tillman in 2003 and making hush money payments to Tillman after his retirement to continue the scheme and attempt to avoid termination of the contract. Now, court documents show that Scott underreported his revenue by at least $4.6 million and overreported expenses by at least $8.2 million. So a lot of information coming out of the U.S. Attorney's Office. You can read the details of it uh, at ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, just about everything you'd want to know about the military and veteran community, including the VA, is available at ConnectingVets.com. Um, this is pretty incredible man for for a long period of time 15 years a decade and a half what did he use the money for hawaiian shorts <laughs> just kidding that's not what happened there he and his wife were using it for high end stuff like Three condominiums in Santa Monica, California, which ran them $7 million alone. A racing boat. That's about the dumbest purchase you can make. That's as dumb as a young sailor buying a car with a $500 a month payment. Racing um, boats? Yeah. It's just a hole in the ocean you throw money into. Yeah. That's all that is. Buying a Mustang at 28% interest. Yeah, there you go. And uh, numerous high-end collectible cars. I'd still say the boat is the uh, the dumber investment, including several classic Corvettes, three Ferraris, you know, when you run a profitable business, that's when you can kind of get away with buying that high-end stuff because people will be like, oh, I guess uh, Mr. Scott's parking uh, business is going pretty well over there. But it gets to a level where people are going to start looking into it. The IRS is going to start looking into it. And, of course, the VA, in this case, started looking into it. Now, Tillman pled guilty in February to federal tax charges and lying to investigators uh, when he denied taking bribes from Scott. He faces up to eight years when he's sentenced on August 27th. So that brings up an interesting question, Jake. Who do, who would you like to see do more time? We know that the guy who was actually scamming the VA is getting six years in prison and has to pay uh, $12.6 million in restitution. The VA employee that he was bribing has pled guilty and faces up to eight years. Who do you hold more responsible for this incident? This is just speaking for myself as my own little sense of honor, and mm -hmm. that is I would think the guy taking the bribes because he's the one that allowed this stuff to go on. He knew it was happening, and he let it happen. He let it continue to happen and took money for it. So yeah. I would say this, again, speaking for me, I would say this dude deserves to do more time. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, the, the employee of the VA, you are entrusted with the well-being of veterans and making sure that money goes to the right places. And when we've had all these these money issues at the VA, and when we keep hearing about these scams costing tens of millions of dollars or a half a million dollars or $50,000, that stuff adds up and it adds to those budget shortfalls. I don't know if you stopped all of these scams and that money had been going to all the right places, if it would make everything, uh, you know, break even, but it would certainly be closer. And when we're talking years of this going on, uh, it's really just a, uh, a really negative situation. Here's another negative situation. It appears that Master Sergeant Daniel Gold's career in the United States Army is done. He's a member of the 7th Special Forces Group. Now he's a member of jail as he's under arrest for attempting to smuggle 90 pounds of cocaine into Eglin Air Force Base from Columbia. Can you imagine that? 
<laughs> you go on a deployment down to Colombia, and you're like, oh, you know, I want to bring something nice home. When I was stationed in Iceland, I was like, oh, they got these Icelandic wool things. My mother came up there. It's like, ah, oh, we'll get you one of these Icelandic shawls that they have with the wool because sheep are basically the only animal along with the little Icelandic ponies that are up there. Uh, I never thought to bring any illicit or illegal project products back from Iceland. They don't have much there in the way of illegal stuff. Like, I don't know, illegally fished trout or something like that, I guess you could do. That underground fish thing should probably be illegal. Oh, the shark that they bury in the ground. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Anthony Bourdain said that uh, it was the most disgusting thing he'd ever tasted, and I've had it like three or four times. As the Icelanders will tell you, yeah, we don't eat it anymore. We just kind of feed it to the tourists uh, like you. And then, <laughs> and then they smile and laugh at you, and re you realize you've paid for something that they would never, ever even take for free. Um, they, put, they do do it at like, uh, you know fancy ceremonies and historical things. Well, Master Sergeant Gould went down to Columbia, and when you go to Columbia, what's the number one export that you think of? Uh, portraits? Oh, portraits. I suppose that's a good one. I think cocaine. I've seen the series Narcos on Netflix. <laughs> I remember Pablo Escobar, the Medellin cartel, the Cali cartel, all the different uh, uh, organizations down there, particularly in the 80s and 90s. It was a hotbed for it, and it's still the number one producer of cocaine in the world. Well, Master Sergeant Gould realized that and I guess decided he wanted to bring some of that home. So 90 pounds of cocaine in two book bags, two backpacks full of cocaine. And you, 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 you imagine that other members of 7 Special Forces Group that were down there with him were like, Hey, uh, Master Sergeant, well, what's up with these two bags? You didn't have these when we were coming down here as he struggles to carry the 90 <laughs> pounds that's in them. Oh, no, these are just trinkets, trinkets that I got from back there. Apparently, he uh, was turned in by one of his fellow soldiers who found out about the uh, found out about what was going on, essentially. And, it, you know, it's it's one of those stories that you're just you wonder, what were you thinking? And I think he was probably thinking he'd be able to get away with it, that special forces guys travel a lot more than everybody else in the military does. Uh, they are held to a different standard physically. And then in many cases, they're also held to a slightly lower standard when it comes to uh, things like grooming and uniforms and stuff like that. They kind of do their own thing. I'm guessing he probably thought that because of that, nobody would be checking his bags. Nobody would worry about it. He had earned that trust. He's a master sergeant in the Army. He's a member of 7th Special Forces Group. Not only that, but he's a Silver Star recipient because he fought off enemy combatants in order to save an injured detachment team member. Uh, it's just one of those things uh, that was going on. Oh, apparently he wasn't deployed to Columbia. See, I had read a story that said he was deployed to Columbia. It looks like he just went on vacation down to Cali, Columbia, uh, and was already back in the U.S. when the drugs were seized. So I apologize for getting that wrong. He was arrested about nine days ago, but this story just broke a couple of days ago uh, for the public. Uh, he used a proxy to move the two bags onto the plane, uh, and there is a soldier who did reveal the plot. That's, that's part of why the story I read said that he was on some sort of deployment. There was another soldier involved. Uh, according to the news reports coming out of NBC News and others, uh, there is no word on whether the soldier who revealed the plot was actually a part of it. If he was someone who got cold feet or if he was someone who just came upon what was going on and turned it in. But yeah, just, just not a good thing. I mean, a Silver Star recipient, someone who many people would consider a hero, a member of the Army's elite special forces. Seven Special Forces Group, those are the Green Berets, right? So yep. he's he's down there. I remember coming across some of those guys in Afghanistan. Hmm, I wonder if he was one of them. Uh, the, the 
fact that someone who has done such great things would do something so ridiculous and so stupid. It's just dumb. But it reminds me of a quote that I saw from Jocko Willink on Twitter when people were asking him about some uh, criminal charges that had come against a, a bunch of U.S. Navy SEALs. Jocko, of course, is uh, a revered former SEAL, best-selling author, hosts a great podcast. Our friend Rob Jones has been a guest on that podcast two times, I believe. What he said is like, it, it kind of stuck out to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said, just because you wear a uniform or you do a job does not make you a good person. There are bad people in every walk of life. So while we hold uh, uh, the special forces community up as an example of what the military should be and how people should perform, and 99.9% of them are, there's that 0.1% that are going to do awful things, that are going to do dumb things, and it's something that's unfortunate, but it is a fact of life. So uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going on with that one. Speaking of keeping an eye on things, do you remember the soldier, Sergeant First Class, Ikaika Kang? You remember we talked about him last year? Yes. He was the one who was uh, a supporter of ISIS and was arrested. Well, he has now been uh, pled guilty. He's now been pled guilty. That's the correct way to pronounce yeah. that. He's now pled guilty in that terrorism case. Um, they've agreed on a sentence, so it sounds like it's more of a plea bargain, something like that. Uh, any further questions were referred to Kang's other attorney, who couldn't immediately be reached, uh, according to the Army Times. But uh, this is basically, he tried to pres- uh, provide classified military information to undercover agents whom he believe- believed were part of ISIS Um He had pled not guilty, but uh, coming up this week, he's scheduled to withdraw the guilty plea again, according to Army Times. So one of those stories that you wondered if we were going to hear exactly what happened to him. Well, now we are. And we'll see uh, when that plea agreement is filed. Then we'll actually know what the sentence is. Your sentence. Listen to the morning briefing for the next hour, and you're going to hear some good stuff. The American. like a bad thing. Well, they they, also maybe tricks them into thinking that they have to do it. Oh. Yeah, see, I'm thinking outside the box here. Now, uh, of course, you should listen to it. You have the option of not. But if you do, Joe Plunsler from the American Legion is coming up, going to talk about the canceled slash delayed military parade. And also Shah Chowdhury, one of the co-founders of Assault Forward. They are all coming up on this edition of The Morning Briefing. Eric Dame, JQ's back after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Briefing Wednesday edition. Super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat. And I want to remind you, and I'm going to keep reminding you until you do it, check out the website, ConnectingVets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. And make sure you follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information. You'll know exactly when things pop off in the military sphere, in the veteran sphere, because we stay on top of that. Every person here. At Connecting Vets knows what it's like to put the uniform on and take it off for the last time. So you follow us, you'll know exactly what's going on, and you'll just generally be awesome, you know? And that's what's most important, is being awesome. Speaking of awesome, we have someone very, very awesome joining us right now. It's Wednesday, which means the American Legion, which means Joe Plensler. Joe, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Hey, it's good to hear your voice again. Yeah, well, you're one of the few people to actually say that, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> Usually people are like, oh, God, this guy again? Where's Eric? Oh, never, man. All right. So a lot of things have been going on 
in the veteran world, but I think one of the biggest issues there has been has been uh, the military parade. It's been talked sure. about for months, and they finally got the, mon- the money for it in the NDAA, and now it turns out it's going to cost like $50 million more than they thought. So Trump has postponed it. Some people say he's canceled it. And there's people going back and forth as to whether he canceled it before or after he knew how much it was going to cost. And that's politics, neither here nor there. But sure. I know the American Legion has a statement on this. And we're wondering, what does the American Legion think, Joe? Yeah, we, we do. Um, in a nutshell, you know, we, our national commander, Denise Rowan, on behalf of our two million members, put out a statement last week. Uh, Thursday evening that essentially said that you know, we appreciate the fact that the president wanted to show in a dramatic way our nation's support for our, our troops. But until we can de- celebrate victory in the war on terrorism and bring our military home, that we think that the money up be- should be better spent funding the Department of Veterans Affairs and giving our troops and their families the best care possible. And so that's that was the statement of the American Legion that came out Thursday evening. And then we found out Friday morning that the parade was canceled. Yeah, and people had had opinions back and forth. Like I know we've talked to several of the VSOs that we talk to every week. Like mm-hmm. we talked to the, the veteran of foreign wars, the VFW. They said they were all for the parade and they were happy sure. it was being going on. Uh, Amvet said they were great, thought it would be a great recruiting tool. Um, what was the uh, the Legion's stance on the parade originally? As soon as it was as it was announced, as soon as it was announced, we we didn't take a position. So we didn't support it, but we we didn't oppose it either. Okay. If, if that makes sense. And so, um, you know, just waiting to see how things were developed and what plans were, you know, developed. And, uh, you know, we just didn't want to jump out right out front with, uh, without having to actually have seen what was actually being proposed. So, so what was the Legion that was, I mean, okay, let me try to find my words here. Okay. <laughs> what was it that really... Uh, not only say turned off the American Legion, but made the American Legion wary about this. Was it the cost, or was it the timing? Because you mentioned a little bit of both in your statement. Yeah, it was it was actually both. I mean, you, you hit on the two main points that we were concerned about. I mean, when CNBC reported that ninety two million dollar figure, I gulped. Right, that's <laughs> a news station. You know, I, I typically have up during the midday uh, on my television in my office, and I mean that was just an exorbitant amount. And then. Um, you know, we started getting queries uh, from, you know, different media here in the Beltway that cover Veterans Affairs. And so, so went to our leadership and said, hey, uh, you know, this is a concern. This is a number that's being thrown out. And um, just to make sure that that number was good, I called over to a contact in the Pentagon who has knowledge of the, the planning that was going on. And, and this person confirmed for me, nope, that's absolutely a, a factor or a figure that's been, you know, talked about here in the Pentagon. So, um, you know, having confirmed it with several media folks and also, you know, several uniform folks uh, within the building, you know, we felt pretty confident that, that that was, you know, the cost estimate. And 50 of that was, uh, from from what we've been able to gather, 50 of that was uh, going to be billed to the DOD, and then the other $42 million was going to go to other federal agencies, National Park Service, Department of Homeland Security, uh, City of D.C., and things like that. And so, um, I don't think that's an unreasonable estimate, uh, simply because last week or two weekends ago there was a protest and counter-protest, you know, here in in the nation's capital where we had about 24 people um, in Lafayette Park, and it cost the city of D.C. upwards of 2.6 million just to secure that in a, in a pretty tight area. So, um, so that was it. And then the other the other part was the the timing of the parade. I mean, it's it's pretty much in our military 
tradition to to have large parades in the nation's capital upon the completion of wars, right? And, you know, the last big one that we've seen was at the end of, of the Gulf War. And so, you know, we were we were talking about that and we said, you know, it's entirely appropriate to, to follow that tradition when wars are concluded. And so, um, you know, we still have young men and women fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. And so, um, you know, it's uh, we're just not, not at that time yet. Yeah, and I agree. And a, a big thing of all people also brought up was the logistics of it. Like, sure. I, I, I brought up the, the problem that if you want tanks in the parade, the nearest place is probably Fort Stewart in Georgia, so you got to oh, railhead yeah. them up here. And then, of course, there's the fact that tank tracks just chew up concrete. And then, like you said, securing it, it would be at least a mile, probably longer, for this parade to go on. And it's just, mm-hmm. it just, the more people talked about it and the more I think President Trump talked it up, it got bigger and bigger until oh, sure. we, we come out with this number that's like, hey, you know, we, you know, we can't afford this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the dollar figure, you know, that, uh, you know, if you're going to compare it to other parades, I mean, it'd be interesting to take a look to see how much, you know, the, the, Bastille Day Parade in France cost, right? Or, you know, the the annual parade that that's done in Russia. I mean, you know, that they prepare for two months for, right? I mean, you know, these these things are not not cheap. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you're looking at a Department of Veterans Affairs, it's got 33,000, you know, more than 33,000 job vacancies within the Veterans Health Administration. You know, these are doctors and nurses and clinicians that that um, you know represent the capacity of the vet, of the VA to treat veterans. Um, you know, we'd rather see $92 million go to hiring more of those folks or, you know, expanding uh, health care services for female veterans. I mean, you know, we all know that the VA was largely built by dudes, designed for dudes, because, you know, most of the military, when when the VA was formed, was, was male. And now that those demographics are changing within the military and there's more women participating and there's more women veterans now, they absolutely deserve the same quality health care as their male counterparts, right? And so, you know, we, we, we do want to see the VA do more tailored medicine to our, our comrades with, uh, you know, 2X chromosomes. And, um, you know, we'd like to see the VA do more with, uh, with suicide awareness and prevention. So, I mean, you know, if there's, there's a lot of work to be done in that, in that regard. And, you know, when you're talking about $92 million, it's a, it's a large chunk of change. And if there's discretionary money in the federal budget, we'd rather see it go to take care of the, the young men and women who are coming home from our nation's conflicts injured and ill. You're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, now, one question I had: I know that the Legion is a resolution-based organization. So, right. did you host some sort of like? Did you send out a vote, or how does the? Or this is, I guess, is more of a general question. How does the Legion come up with its resolutions? Oh, with this one? Well, you know, this I, one and other ones in general. Yeah, like when I mean, you come out with a resolution or a statement, how is it that you come to that conclusion? Sure. Yeah, and uh, typically it's it's almost like a parliamentary process where a resolution is initiated at a at a post level and then gets voted on, you know, at the uh, department or state level is what you know we call it, and then um, and then it comes up to the national level with the um, national executive committee. But um, it, with this, it was kind of like a really fast moving, emergent thing. So you know, we talked to our national commander about it, and, and um, she discussed it with with her uh, her folks up in uh, and uh, came back with a statement. So that's how that one. All right. Well, once again, we are speaking with Joe Plenzer from the American Legion. He is the, remind me your title again, you're the national spokesperson? The Director of Media Relations. Director of Media Relations. I, I should have known. I knew it was something more professional than national spokesperson. <laughs> I couldn't, for the life of me, get it off the top of my head. So I apologize sure. for impugning your office. Not at all.
Okay, so the, the Legion is doing a whole lot of things, and one thing that's coming up is, is it a national conference coming up? Yeah, it's our national convention. In fact, it's our 100th national convention. Oh, wow, so this is a big yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the American Legion was formed by returning World War One veterans and uh, essentially had its first meetings in Paris before, you know, the troops even came home in, in, 19, in 1918. And then, uh, you know, we were congressionally chartered in 1919. Uh, they had a caucus in St. Louis um, early in 1919, and then uh, they're trying to decide where they would hold their first national convention. And uh, uh, there are a lot of people who are trying to get uh, – the Legion to do it in Chicago, you know, it's kind of in the center of the country. And, uh, and, um, and then there was some, uh, you know, pretty <laughs> vigorous, uh, debate going on about, you know, some comments made by the Chicago mayor at the time. Um, and, uh, ended up uh, being, uh, Minneapolis was the place that they chose. So, so hundred years to the, you know, to the date we're, we're going back to where it all started and uh, we're going to celebrate a hundred years there. So, but more than 10,000, uh, legionnaires and their families are going to be showing up in Minneapolis to uh, celebrate 100 years of the American Legion. That's awesome, man. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's longer than I've been alive. That was the first yeah. thing that came to my head, which is like, duh. But sorry, that well, was you a little, and me both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little dirt moment. But we can move past that. So, sure. what, what exactly is accomplished at the, the national convention? Is it is that is that when you will pick the new national commander, or like what happens Correct. there? Yeah, that's like one of the very last things that we do. Um, but over the weekend, actually, let me back up a little bit because, uh, you know, starting Thursday, we're, we complete the uh, the American Legion has a motorcycle club called the American Legion Riders. And so about 500 of, of um, these Legionnaires are going to be finishing a 1,000-mile ride, and they're going to arrive at American Legion Post 102 in Anoka, Minnesota, on Thursday. And... Um, then on Friday, uh, there's a color guard competition. There's also going to be a community outreach service project. Uh, we're going to hold a conference for women-owned uh, uh, business entrepreneurs, uh, for women you know, who want to start businesses and learn how to do that. And um, then Friday night, there's also the American Legion Night at the Minnesota Vikings versus uh, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks exhibition game. And uh, so there's a lot of, like, official business things that go along uh, and also a lot of entertainment that, that takes place uh, during this time. And so uh, Saturday there's going to be a band competition, a blood drive. Um, let's see what else is going on. Saturday uh, there's going to be an American Legion Night of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Sunday we have our big parade through downtown Minneapolis, and we do this every year where, you know, delegations from each uh, state come and, and march through the city. Um, Monday... And also over the weekend are all our commission meetings. So, you know, they'll be talking about different uh, resolutions and initiatives and updates on on everything from, like, national security and defense to um, veterans affairs and rehabilitation, veterans education. And, um, you know, starting the following week, so actually, like, the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th is when the, the main main convention takes place. Okay. So that's really cool stuff, man. You get to go there, be entertained. You can see the twins and the Vikings lose. It'll be great. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know what those teams are doing. I don't follow sports like at all. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you couldn't tell, you wouldn't be able to tell by my Houston Astros hat. I don't follow sports very much. I'm. Yeah. If you know the show, you know I'm very much a nerd. But I was uh, just looking at what good restaurants were in town. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's most important: the food. Yeah. So absolutely. So here's a question: This is where is this where you come up with like your big? You mentioned come up with resolutions. Is this where you come up with your big like legislative priorities for the year? 
Yeah, it helps inf- inform that. I mean, so, you know, we get together about four times a year to discuss um, discuss these things. And, uh, you know, this, this is the big one. We also have, you know, fall meetings, spring meetings, and then our Washington conference um, in the winter. So, so uh, it, you know, it's an opp- opportunity to allow the leadership of the American Legion to get together uh, quarterly and uh, essentially hold board meetings is what we do. And then, and then um, you know, go into a general session where we hear from different distinguished speakers and uh, and things like that. So, so you know, we're going to see a, you know a lot of uh, prominent folks from D.C. make the trip out there to talk, and um, and also you know hear from some veterans themselves. You know, we have um, Melissa Stockwell, who's an Army veteran and two-time Paralympian, who's going to come speak. We got Walter Marm Jr. coming, who's a Medal of Honor recipient. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that'll be rolling through the the convention. That's cool, man. Uh, you just came. I just come up with a very good question. Why would you hold your winter conference in D.C.? It's all cold and snowy. Why wouldn't you have it somewhere tropical, like Florida or something? Yeah, that's all part of our storm the hill thing. So you know, when you bring in a few thousand legionnaires to go talk to their elected officials on the Capitol Hill, <laughs> that's why. So, I know, but I know. in the winter time, maybe it's cheap rates. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not exactly sure on the time, and I could, I could get an answer for you on that, though. Okay. Well, here's because yeah. we mentioned this is at the end when you'll pick your new national commander, and I think we can both agree that Denise Rohan. We've talked to her when she I, early after when she first got her. She first was named National Commander, and we can both agree she's done a fantastic job, just a great job of representing the American Legion and coming out with these statements and just doing a fantastic thing as National Commander. So can you give me, like, any hints? Like, are there, is there, like, a select few that we think are going to be in the running for the new National Commander? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, as far as the national staff, we usually don't get involved in, in that side of the business. So, um, you know, there's if you go into Google, you can you can find out who the contenders are. But uh, we pretty much take a pretty strictly hands off, um, you know, position on that. So not so as not to give the impression of any any favoritism on in any direction. So okay, so, so yeah. it's more the people vote. So you can so you yeah, can yeah, claim that, that it's not a whole inside the Beltway Washington thing being decided. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we really, you know, that's up to our volunteers to decide who their next national commander is for the following year. And so, you know, the two million members minus the, you know, 250 that are the paid professional staff of the Legion, you know, make those decisions. So we're okay. here to support that, you know. Okay, cool. So yeah. can you give me, do you think you can give me a preview of like what you think the big uh, motions are going to be for this next, for this coming year? Like what you think are going to be the legislative priorities and what you think you're really going to push? Yeah, I think the the one that we're most tightly focused on right now is the funding for the VA Mission Act, you know, and the, and the rulemaking for that really is, is what we're looking at. So, you know, it's the the question is, you know, um, you know how much community care should veterans have access to? And so, uh, you know, that was signed into law by President Trump, and now it's the art of how does that legislation get translated into VA policy? So I know we and the other, you know, veteran service organizations are keenly interested in, in participating in that process to, to make sure that it makes sense. Um, you know, one of our main missions is to advise and assist the Department of Veterans Affairs and, and um, you know, what's what's of concern to America's veterans. I mean, we have 2 million members and more than a million volunteer hours in VA facilities all around the, the country. So um, we've got a pretty good feel for what's happening at the at the grassroots level. Um, so, that, you know, that's one thing that we're looking really closely at because, you know, it all comes down to, you know, it goes back to those 33,000 job vacancies within the Veterans Health Administration, right? I mean, if if the VA has a clinic or a hospital that's got the capability to treat a veteran in that area 
And because of lack of capacity, because of lack of providers, they're sending you know, veterans out to community care programs through private sector providers at greater cost to the taxpayer. You know, we're asking some hard questions as to why. And why, if there's 33,000 job vacancies, there's only about 4,500 of those listed on USA Jobs. So, you know, it's, um, you know, we entirely think that, you know, a certain amount of community care is appropriate, especially for rural veterans who live, you know, far away from VA facilities. But, but you know, in the areas that, you know, that has a clinic or a hospital or a treatment facility, um, and they haven't filled out all those provider, you know, uh, job vacancies, we're, we want to know why. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the, the main things that we're looking at, because, you know, if you can treat more veterans within the system at a lower cost than, you know, out in community care and uh, re- in the same amount of time, then that should be done. Absolutely, because as we've mentioned before, it's the VA's job to be caring for veterans. It's not, you know, it comes with that whole privatization argument as to sure. whether we should be pushing people out to private care or whether it should be mm-hmm. happening in-house. And my opinion on this, if anyone, no one cares, but my opinion, as long as it is the VA's job to care for veterans, that's what it needs to be doing, which sure. is filling those vacancies. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it comes down to what, what does the American people owe its veterans? And, you know, the, to, to us, you know, the VA is a, is a physical reminder of that promise, right? You know, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, our country goes to war as a, as a public act, um, you know, that's approved by our elected officials and, and the, the commander-in-chief, which we've elected as well. And when we do that, you know, we have a responsibility to shoulder the burden of that, that cost. And, you know, that cost, unfortunately, a lot of times is in um, – you know, the, the health and, uh, um, you know, well-being of, of our young men and women. And so when they come home injured and ill, we've got a moral responsibility to make them as whole as possible and help them transition into meaningful life in the civilian workforce. So, so um, you know, that's what the VA does. And so, you know, it's, I, we reject the thought that the VA is too big or too unwieldy to manage. I mean, you know, it's uh, what one-third of the Pentagon budget, and you don't see anybody complaining about, you know, how unwieldy the, the Pentagon is. So, you know, it deserves good leadership. Our vets deserve good leadership within the VA to provide the services that they need. And quite frankly, you know, the VA employees who, you know, upper, you know about one-third of them are vets themselves. You know, they deserve good leadership at every level of the enterprise. So, you know, it's Secretary Wilkie's got a, a lot cut out for him. You know, the ship's been turning in the right direction over the last couple of years. So it's, we hope he can sustain that change. And, and uh, you know, we're standing ready to provide our, our best advice on, on what we think veterans need. Okay, great. You mentioned uh, the newly appointed Secretary Wilkie, and I know it's only been it's only been like a week or two or some number of weeks. But have you had any interaction with him, and how so far has been the working relationship with him and the Legion or other VSOs? Yeah, you know, I, I think it would be fair to say, you know, our staff has has kicked off, you know, a relationship with him. Uh, our executive director, Lou Chelly, who you met before, uh, used to be our uh, Veterans Affairs Policy Lead, so. Um, he flew it up to the position, you know, uh, two months ago, and and um, you know, Wilkie's just been confirmed and seated. So, you know, they're starting initial conversations, but you know, we look forward to many, many more, both with uh, the VA, you know, the West Wing of the White House, and also, you know, continuing the the great relationship we have with the House and Senate um, Veterans Affairs Committees. Wow, that's really good. So we've talked about you. Uh, blah, blah. God, I cannot talk today. What is my problem? We talked Sorry, about man. the military parade and the Legion's reaction to it. We talked about your upcoming national conference. We talked about Wilkie. Is there anything else that you feel you want your our listeners or your members to know? Um, yeah, just uh, you know, if you um, agree with what we're doing and you uh, want to put your name and and a little bit of your money behind the effort to defend veterans' rights and benefits, um, you know, please join the American Legion. 
I always got to get that little dig in for membership, right? <laughs> hey, you know, we're a member-based organization, so, you know, we won't back up to the table about that. I mean, we have 2 million folks who, uh, you know, who believe that our veterans deserve a GI Bill, that our veterans deserve health care, you know, uh, for their service-connected disabilities, you know, that our veterans deserve a VA home loan. So, um, you know, all that doesn't happen on its own. So it's like previous generations of veterans have fought for those things, and, you know, it's up to this generation to... Uh, to figure out how to maintain it because, uh, you know, the budget knives are out on Capitol Hill every day. Yeah. And I've, I've often somewhat joked, somewhat been serious said that everyone gives lip service to veterans, but when it comes time to trim the budget somewhere, they always go to TRICARE and the VA. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah. you know, that's just what I've noticed. I don't know. I'm yeah. not a policymaker. Sure. All sure. right. So Joe Plensler from the American Legion. Joe, thanks so much for talking to us today, man. All right, brother. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, and if people want to learn more about the American Legion and what you're doing, where can they go? You should go to www.legion.org. Our thanks to Joe Plensler. And, of course, you can hear the American Legion every Wednesday on the morning briefing. And you can go back and download previous episodes featuring the Legion where they talk about a number of the amazing things that the Legion is doing to help veterans, to advocate for veterans, and uh, just to be, in general, an organization doing good things for veterans. Now, Jake, Joe was talking to you about their convention that's coming up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You've been to conventions before, I know. You are a, a big fan of the nerd culture. I yes, am as well, I am. but I've only been to one Walker Stalker convention, which is a Walking Dead and zombie themed convention. My wife is a big fan of the Walking Dead, so I got tickets to it. As far as a VSO national convention, like the Legion or the VFW or AMVETS or something like that, is that something you'd think you'd ever have an interest in going to? I would love to go because I know these groups do such good things for, like you said, good things for veterans, and I would love to see how they work. In sort of this public space, you know? Yeah. And a massive, massive conventions when you're talking about these organizations that have hundreds of thousands of members going out there, seeing all the Legionnaires, you know, and the Legion caps out there. I'm sure the good people of uh, Minneapolis are going to be like, what's going on? What? <laughs> Why do all these people have the same hat on? Is this some sort of invasion? And it is, but an invasion of the best kind. And of course, as I mentioned, if you go to ConnectingVets.com, search American Legion, you will find uh, a list of five items that I found from their uh, list of events going on during the convention that really kind of stuck out to me as extra cool. There's a film festival out there where uh, Denise Rohan, the outgoing national commander of the Legion, uh, they will elect a new national commander at the convention in Minneapolis. She's uh, featured in a uh, documentary uh, about women doing amazing things, and she is the first ever female national commander of the American Legion in their, it was in their 99th year. So it got just under the wire of having a female national commander in their first 100 years. She's in that. And then a bunch of classic movies. And what I noticed there, 1938 was apparently a huge year for the Legion in movies. Four different movies from the same year that were either filmed at American Legion facilities, featured American Legion uh, members who were the actors and stars, and even movies that feature the American Legion as the heroic group that comes to the rescue. So I like those old movies, and I like just uh, fun (laughs) stuff like that. So you'll get to go and check that out. If you go out there, it starts off on the 24th. Some of those things still have openings, but you should definitely go check it out. And, of course, you should check out The Morning Briefing and ConnectingVets.com in general. We're here every morning at 8.15, a Facebook Live broadcast at 7.15 to kick things off. And then throughout the day, our team of veterans is updating ConnectingVets.com with great stories 
stories and videos and info all aimed at the veteran community and friends of the veteran community. Follow us on social media to find out more. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On behalf of myself, Eric Dane, and your producer, JQ, we'll be back tomorrow with AMVETS and Master Gunnery Sergeant Cardo Urso. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. We'll see you then. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. It's the slogan and it's what we do. Our team of veterans all know what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off. We know what to look for when it comes to the pitfalls that might be in front of you, the roadblocks, the benefits that can help you, the GI Bill. Yeah, I went to Hofstra University on the GI Bill. I can tell you all about that. And each member of our team has their own unique perspective and viewpoint, and they're all available on ConnectingVets.com in a variety of platforms, a variety of types of content. It's all there for you and on our social media pages. Follow us. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. A little click of your mouse or tap on your phone, and you will have all the information you need to live your best veteran life. Speaking of veterans, our next guest is one. Now, he didn't join the Navy. I guess the recruiting office was closed that day or something, but he did decide to go into the military and serve in one of those other services, right? Shah Chowdhury is joining us now, and we're going to talk to him about Assault Forward, the company that he co-founded, and also a little bit about your military career. So, Shah, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Eric, for having me on the show. Let's talk a little bit about that military service. Give us the Cliff's Notes version, you know, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were in. Sure, thank you. Um, so I'm from New York City originally. Um, my, my, I'm an immigrant. My parents came from, uh, uh, from Bangladesh, but I was born and raised in New York. So my father, since a young age, wanted me to go into the Army. He said, hey, you should go into the Army. It's an honorable profession. But as a kid growing up in New York, I was like, I, I, don't, really, I don't know if I want to do that. I had mm. other, wanted to play sports or whatnot. But then we had a lot of family that served in the military in Bangladesh. So one summer I was 15, went over there. One of my cousins just was promoted to captain in, in the army there. So kind of saw what it was like, the lifestyle on the base. And I said, oh, that looks pretty cool. I said, I'll try it. So from high school, went and applied to army ROTC, got into our ROTC. I went to school at Pace University undergrad, but they didn't have an ROTC unit there. So, right, right. so I ended up going to Fordham University doing ROTC. So yeah. this was 1997. Um, and I so you chose not to go into the Navy, and then you chose <laughs> Fordham and Pace over Hofstra. Yeah. I don't know. Your decision-making que- is questionable yeah. <laughs> at best, at best. So 97, you, you finish up in college. You have that uh, uh, You have that commission. You go in yeah. as an officer. Yeah. Of course, that's a year before I went in. I went in in 98, four years before September 11th. Yeah. What what were you expecting from your military career going in in 97? Well, so I started ROTC and I, so I was commissioned actually 10 days before 9-11. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you finished in no, 97. No, I started, started, in 97. Yeah, wow. started in 97. So it was, you know, we were training for Vietnam era operations. That was mm. ROTC was. So I was commissioned September 1st, 2001, because I had to take some summer classes. And so 10 days later, 9-11 hits mm. and I'm in New York City, right? It's when it happened. So obviously what we expected was going to happen changed a lot. Two months later, um, I was an artillery officer, so I went as, as, as field artillery. So then November 1st, I, w- I ended up going to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So go from there. We already started, you know, started Afghanistan operations started happening. So we kind of realized like, wow, 
what we thought, you know, during the 90s, the Clinton, the peacetime era, that's, that's not going to be the case during our mm-hmm. career. Um, so then I, you know, finished the artillery basic course um, in April of 02, and then I was sent to Germany. I was stationed in Germany. Um, the first year of my life, I was a platoon leader, best job I've ever had. Um, but I, was, I couldn't believe I was being paid to do this. I was like, this is cool. I'm leading soldiers, living in Europe. Uh, but then the war started, you know, com- coming to fruition. So then I deployed uh, May 03 with the First Armed Division to Baghdad. And I spent 15 months uh, in Iraq doing patrols and convoy operations and whatnot. What year did you what year did you leave the service? So I ended up leaving uh, late 2005, so November okay. 5. So I ended up doing four years. My initial plan that I wanted to do a full career. That, mm-hmm. that was my goal. So when I was in college, I didn't really care about grades. I was like, hey, I just need to graduate so I can join the <laughs> Army. Right? I picked the easiest major I could. I was a political science major. I said, look, I just need to graduate so I can go, go join the Army. Um, I met my wife. She's from Germany originally. So I met her. I met her about a month before I deployed. So she kind of messed up my plans on staying in the Army. Um, because I deployed, we kept in contact. She was in med- medical school at the time. Oh, cool. When I got back, <clears throat> when it was time for me to either stay in or, or get out, um, you know, we were still kind of dating and whatnot, and I, I kind of wanted to see that relationship through, so I ended up getting out the Army at that time. Well, hey, that's one reason to do it. Yeah, and yeah. when you think back to that time, I mean, obviously a difficult decision for any of us to make, those yeah. who get to make the decisions. Some of us, uh, you know, it comes to an end because you've hit 20 years plus or whatever the reason may be. When you think back to that time, going from active duty to veteran status, what do you remember most about it? You know, it was a scary time because here, here I was, you know, I had, I had a job to do, you know, place to be every morning was up at 530, you know, formation at 630. And now it was, hey, here you go. And, and at that time in, you know, late 05, 06, there wasn't much transition assistance in a sense of, hey, this is what you should do for work. This is what you should do. So I kind of had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own and, um, but what, what I wish I would have had or I would have done was reach out to other vets who got out before me. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? So I was ended up trying to have to try to figure it out on my own. And it took a number of years before I kind of got my, you know, I got my feet under. So I kind of floundered for a couple of years trying to figure out what I want to do. What was it that got you through that floundering period? I mean, if there's someone out there is like, yeah, that sounds like me. What would you recommend they do to try and get past that? Yeah, so I think it, I think we definitely reaching out to other veterans who have been there. Like that's what I didn't do. I had a lot of friends who got out, and I just didn't reach out to them. But at that time too, this was before social media really like right? started happening, and emails was was tougher. But I think reaching out to vets beforehand, starting that process, the planning beforehand, um, I did eventually get with one of those military recruiting companies to kind of focus on you know non commissioned officers and officers. So that was I wish I would have done that earlier. Um, but that you know. That I think is a good path because that's what they focus and specialize on. Where I was trying to, you know, trying to figure stuff out my own. Where I should have reached out to people who've kind of been through that before. And you've been doing a lot since you got out. We're speaking with Shah Chowdhury. He is the co-founder of Assault Forward. He's also a lot more than that. You've been involved on Capitol Hill with IAVA on yeah. veterans' issues, including post 9/11 GI bills, suicide, burn pits, all that stuff. What made you want to get involved in the advocacy side of veterans' issues? So for me, being a veteran, like it's such a special thing to us. Like there's like like I didn't join a fraternity in college, but this is my fraternity. This is my organization. Yeah. So. I've been, because my parents are, you know, I'm from the South Asian, you know, uh, 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 ethnicity side, I tried doing networking events there. I, I, I'm not a typical South Asian person, <laughs> right? I don't flip the mo- Most of the guys go into being doctors or lawyers, and here I was an army officer. So, but when, I, when I'm around other veterans, I feel like a connection. Like, it doesn't matter when they serve, what branches serve. We might rib on each other, army versus navy, but it's still the same, uh, it's a brotherhood, you know, brothers and sisters. So, 
I just wanted to give back to where, in essence, if it wasn't for the army, like I don't know where I would be now. It kind of gave me um, a, a sense of purpose and it just kind of gave me direction in life. So part of that is helping out, especially with IVA here being in the DC area, I get calls a lot. Hey, we need help on the Hill. So I, I kind of went first from kind of being in the, in the photo ops in the back because they needed people to fill into last, you know, last couple of uh, storm, the Hill happened about mm -hmm. a month ago. And I was there leading teams, meeting with congressmen to get for the burn pit accountability act. So it's a great time just giving back to the people who I work with. And again, being around other veterans, I just love being around other vets. There are a lot of people who get involved in a number of things. Of course, you also have gotten involved on the entrepreneurial side through yes. Assault Forward. And yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. What exactly is Assault Forward and where did the idea for the company come from? Oh, great, great question. So, um, so I was in grad school using the GI Bill and uh, at University of Maryland, and about 20% of our class were veterans. So we kind of built a kind of friendship and camaraderie within the community. Um, so I got two of my friends, Joe and Josh, uh, one of them was an artillery officer as well. And we always kind of talked about businesses and stuff. So we graduated the program in July and in October, the idea came to my head and I was like, Hey man, we need to start a business. And part of it was, we were all professional guys that like we wear suit and ties or jackets to work. And we're like, we want to represent that we're veterans, but we can't wear a grunt style t-shirt to work. I mean, great company. We love, you know, we get it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, great company. We love what they do, but we need something that represents us guys who can wear something more discreet. Um, but still representing the veteran status. So mm -hmm. we came up with Assault Force. So Assault Force is an e-commerce, retail accessories and apparel brand for professional veterans and patriotic Americans. Everything's American made as well. It's true. It's something that you don't think about. Like, I don't think about it because mm -hmm. you mentioned I happen to be wearing a grunt style yeah, shirt today exactly. when I got through the GovX website that yeah. was uh, specific to them. But I, I work at a job where, uh, again, there's no cameras in here. Yeah. So I can say I can wear what I want. I can yeah. be nude right now and no one would know. <laughs> There are a lot of people who work in a more professional capacity, whether you're a lawyer or you work in finance or you work in, you're a teacher or something like that. You can't wear a lot of the, uh, the, 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 I guess, patriotic, uh, the stereotypically patriotic things that people think of. So it kind of makes sense to do that. It also seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong here, when looking at the catalog of what Assault Forward does, like these amazing lapel pins that you guys have with the subdued flag, uh, coffee mugs, things like that. Is there also a benefit to having kind of um, smaller products? Is the production of it easier where you're not having to deal with printing off, you know, 500,000 T-shirts like Dan Alaric and the folks at Grunt Style are? You know, it's a great point. So that's part of the process. So we, when we started thinking about the company, because right now my basement is the shipping center, right? So everything is there. <laughs> so we wanted to something where we, we eventually we do want to go into a golf shirts and, and T-shirts as well because people are asking for that. But we're concerned about inventory. We don't want to hold 10,000 T-shirts or, you know, 100 triple XL because we needed it. So starting with the lapel pin, it's pretty small boxes. You can hold 500 in a pretty small box. It doesn't take up tons of space. Right. I will say with the coffee mugs that we just ordered, those are bigger boxes. It's yeah. funny. My wife called me when the boxes came in and it, she just walked out to go pick up my son for school. She said, what in, What on earth are these boxes? And I go, oh, that's probably the coffee mug. So it was like six big boxes. So that was the first foray into something bigger, but it is easier in that sense. Do you think that it's also kind of makes sense for you as starting a business and someone who has a background in finance? Yeah. Uh, again, you've got your master's, you've got all that important yeah. stuff. Do you think it's important for veterans who are thinking of starting their own company to not kind of overextend themselves to begin with, to maybe find find your lane before speeding up in it, so to speak? Absolutely. So that's part of where we're part of Bunker Labs as well. You're probably familiar with Bunker oh, yeah. Labs. So Bunker Labs is big in the veteran entrepreneur space, and, and they talk about scaling and starting. You use a lean startup methodology. You start small, scale. They talk about de-risking the process. So all of us still have our day jobs. But we do this, but it, it, and I don't call it a side hustle because I spend a lot of hours mm. with this all for a lot of late nights, weekends, 
Um, but the good thing about it is like I have the finance background. One of the other partners, Joe, he's a, he's a marketing guy. So he does a lot of the marketing, other guys, operations, Josh. So we kind of have our space. We take our, our space and we run with it. But, uh, you know, but we are starting small. We're scaling because what we didn't want to do is take out the loans of $100,000, buy a bunch of inventory and then try to sell it. Right. We're like, hey, let's start small. Yeah. Let's sell. And then we'll have to reorder as we can. But I am by no means a mm-hmm. finance expert. My, mm-hmm. my degree is in communications and radio production. Yeah. Uh-huh. So but one thing that seems seems obvious to me, but I think a lot of people don't think about it's not just veterans. It's anyone in the entrepreneur space where they'll have an idea that they believe in so strongly that, like you said, Let's use T-shirts as an example. Mm. You print off 250,000 T-shirts because you're just, man, these things are awesome. I love them. All my friends love them. Everybody's going to buy them. If they don't, if that market, if you've overestimated that market, you've put yourself in a very difficult position. How can people try to figure out ahead of time what is and isn't too much as someone with that finance background and and starting this company? No, it's a great question. So what we did, we started with a small, what they call, the lean startup calls like an MVP, a minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. And so you start small and just test it out. So we started with 250 lapel pins. So it cost us less than $1,000. That's all, I mean, that's what it cost us to start to test it. Like, hey, we have the website up. Here's what it is. We started reaching out to just our community. We didn't pay any for marketing. We're like, hey, what do you think about the story? What do you think about this? So we gave out a couple, you know, to some people and they were like, hey, this is cool. This is good quality, American made. We like it. And then we sold out, you know, in a relatively quick time. We're like, okay, well, uh, let's try another 250. So then when that kind of went through, then the next order. So we, that's the way I would say is start small with people that you know without having to spend a lot of money in marketing. Um, and that's what Bunker Labs talks about as well is, hey, if you just try to get that first dollar, a lot of people see, hey, I want to become a million dollar company. But before you make that first million, you have to make your first dollar, mm-hmm. right? So you find that one person who's willing to give you a dollar first. So try that. If somebody's willing to pay $1 for it, you're most likely you'll be able to find someone else to pay a dollar for it. And it just multiplies that way. That is, uh, you know, simple and basic, but it's something that a lot of us just don't know about or don't exactly. think about. Thankfully, I have a wife who has an MBA and okay, all that great. stuff. So, you know, <laughs> Six Sigma black belt and all that uh, nonsense. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about it as much, but I'm also not trying to start a company. Yeah. Knowing what you know and learning what you've learned so far with Assault Forward as you begin to expand the company, as you begin to expand the products uh, that you offer, what is the biggest single piece of advice you would give to a vet out there who's got an idea for a company and is just getting into the process of figuring out how to get it off the ground and start it. No, so I think the one big thing is just do it, execute, execute. A lot of people, you talk to a lot of people, they have an idea for this, they have an idea for that, but it never gets past being an idea. Mm. Like you have to get it out there as quickly as possible and test the idea with as little as money as possible. So I would say just execution. Like I said, we executed relatively quickly. The idea came in October and we had our first sale late February. So three to four months from idea phase. So that's pretty quick. Yeah. So that's, again, but we were motivated. We we're like, Hey, we found it. We found a passion. It's a veteran space that we love the community that we love, we love to be a part of. You just have to go out there and execute as quickly as possible. And that's the hardest thing is just going from, okay, it's an idea phase, the coffee phase, right? People are sitting around drinking coffee in a coffee shop. Hey, we're going to, we're going to change the world. We're going to, we have to go from going to, to doing it. You just mm-hmm. have to go and execute. And that's kind of like, you know, we were talking off air, both of us train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yep. I, over the last couple of months, I've had an illness, my wife traveling, yep. and there've been, like last week, I, I hadn't gone in, I think, three weeks, and uh-huh. it was just like, I kept coming up with excuses of why I couldn't <laughs> go, so I just had to go and had a great time. But it's kind of the same thing with business. Yep. You know, yep. difficult things, you may have a great idea, but then you realize that the implementation of it is going to be a little bit more difficult, and that can kind of uh, you know push you back and, and keep you from starting it. But good advice from Shah Chowdhury, co-founder of Assault Forward. 
Question I want to ask you about Assault yeah. Forward. Yeah. I know you get this, and it, I I hope yeah. it mostly comes from the non-veteran community. Yeah. How come your flags are backwards? Yeah. <laughs> that We do get that a lot. And, <laughs> and, and that was really intentional. So for us, being Army guys, that's how we wore it on our right shoulder sleeve. Right. right? So it's a very special, significant meaning to us. And so we say... Yeah, it's supposed to simulate a, f- a flag going forward on the battlefield. It's right. technically assaulting forward. If you're if you're carrying the picture of the Revolutionary War and you're carrying the stars and stripes and you're charging into battle as that flag bearer, yeah. it's flowing behind Find you. you. So exactly. that's why the flag looks like that exactly. on the side. I have one on my motorcycle vest. Exactly. Uh, one of the uh, not the subdued flag, but the other one that I wore on yeah. my uh, my ACUs when yeah. I worked for the Army exactly. in Afghanistan. Yeah. So, do you get a lot of questions about that from people though? We, we do, and it's it's uh, so, and that's part. But when so so we started, we bought these pins for ourselves first. We made them just for ourselves to wear because we wanted something different. We, we got so many questions. I mean, 20, 30, 40 questions over a couple of weeks. People will stop. Hey, why is that flag backwards? And I'll tell the story. And they say, oh, that's a pretty neat story. That's pretty cool. After like about a couple of weeks of getting that, we're like, hey, maybe we're onto something. Let's just try <laughs> it out. And sell it. So, and, but for us, it's also a mindset. Like you've probably seen the new VSOs came out with the new veteran creed, right? How to yep. simulate and, and we still have missions to go out in the world. So for us, we're trying to turn it into a, a brand where it kind of helps veterans to, hey, assaulting forward is a mindset too. Like, go forward, do good things in life, assault forward, you know, with us. So, um, but we do get that questions a lot. It's, it's funny. Um, vets get it, Army guys. Some, you know, Marine guys, some Marines don't get it. They're yeah. like, they're like, because they don't wear any patches. Nope. Um, but they're like, okay, I understand it, but, you know, we wouldn't do that. Like, hey, the Air Army. Force are used to wearing, you know, polo shorts <laughs> exactly. and cargo shorts, right? That's their uniform. <laughs> and loafers, right? Yeah. yeah, riding around in the golf cart. You know, they put on their spikes when necessary for tea time <laughs> exactly. and all that stuff. Yeah. Looking at Assault Forward and what it is now, as you said, started off small with the lapel pins. Now you've got a number of products available. You've got different pins. You've got the uh, the standard traditional forward-facing flag pin, yeah. the military veterans and law enforcement special edition pin, yeah. coffee mugs that you've now got uh, that came in the boxes that surprised your wife. Yeah, exactly. That's just I. That's that's a funny thing to think of, stepping uh-huh. outside like, what in the hell is in front of my that's exactly ass? what she said. Where do you see it going? Do you want to continue expanding? Do you of see course. it as something like, let's say, here's another good example, a fellow soldier of yours, uh, the founder of Go Ruck, mm-hmm. which has created almost a lifestyle around the brand. They now have 50-mile races around the country that yeah. they're doing and all that stuff. What do you see as the future of Assault Forward as you continue assaulting forward in the entrepreneurial space? Yeah, so we, we definitely want to continue. Like Our goal is we want to employ veterans. Like We want to employ veterans and military spouses. Military spouses do a lot for you know the, the service members in uniform, but our goal is to keep growing. Ultimately, I would love to do this full-time, and that is our plan. Within two to three years, do enough where we, we want to do this full-time, keep expanding the product line. And again, like you said, like a lifestyle brand around Assault Forward, we want to work with other veteran organizations. Example, uh, we are partnering, potential partnership with some of the bigger veteran-owned companies um, to do like a collab type stuff. We're actually working on a veterans giveaway as well. We have, we're organizing it. So we have companies like, we're talking about like Bottle Breacher, Black Rifle Coffee, companies yeah. like that to do a giveaway to help cross-promote each other. So we want to just be in that community. We love being a part of it, but we definitely want to grow it to the point where it's making enough money for all of us to do it full-time and we want to employ all veterans. And one thing, um, Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee, you probably know him. So at a Bunker Labs event in Chicago, he talked about, he wanted to create a company, a military company. He said, hey, civilians can work here, but they have to adjust to our culture. That's Mm -hmm. what we want to do. Like ultimately, like we have to adjust right now to the civilian culture. 
We want to make a salt forward a big enough company where veterans work. And as civilians, if, if you do want to come work with us, that's fine. But you're going to have to adjust to our military-type culture here. And that's what we yeah. want to create. Well, and some of those big companies, and, and we've talked about them a couple of times already, I think a grunt style and, and talking to Dan about they want to have at least 50% veterans on, yeah. on staff. But it's not always easy sure. to find yeah. those veteran yeah. workers. Is that a concern for you moving forward as your team gets bigger? I mean, you're, you're a small team now. You're yeah. veterans. You're doing it. Yeah. As you get forward, do you, do you worry that it might be harder to maintain that aspect of the business? Sure. It, I mean, even right now for just sourcing products, right, forcing American, having American manufacturers, that's harder and harder just to do because there's not that many. A lot, most of the stuff is made in China and Vietnam. So that's already hard there. But we are uh, – the next thing we're like we, that is a concern down the line but right now i think as we grow we're, we're planning to scale it slowly i think we should be okay yeah. but that is down the line where ideally we would want the veterans only right but if there's no veterans available we need the job done we will go to the next you know, look for military spouses or maybe first responders or in yeah. the, or people who support the the, the veteran culture but again if you're a civilian and you can do the job that's great but remember you're gonna have to adjust our culture whenever we do get it you know and Veteran culture, of course, is not a monolith. There's many things about it, which is kind of uh, the interesting, I think, perhaps the most interesting aspect of what you're doing with Assault Forward, creating these accessories for the professional worker. Exactly. Not for the guy. Like, there are a lot of jobs where you can't be wearing the Ranger up and the grunt style and every day at work. How important do you think it is for people looking to get into the entrepreneurial space to try and find that kind of gap. I don't know that there's anybody else doing anything like what you guys are. You found that. How hard was it to find it? Was it just a, a coincidence that you had this idea and nobody else was doing it? And how important is it to try and, I guess what, I guess you don't want to be doing the same thing that Ranger Up and Grunt Style are because good luck competing against those two companies at this point, you know? Exactly. So part of the, the conversation I had with my co-founder, Joe and Josh, is he's big into the veterans, you know, his suitcase. He travels a lot for work covered in all the military brands, Grunt Style, Nine Line, the Home Nine Yards. And so when we came up with the idea, it was my idea to say, hey, we should sell this lapel pin. He's like, hey, look, selling a lapel pin is not a business by itself, right? And, and which we like, we understood. He's like, there's a lot of veteran-owned companies already. It's crowded. How do we stand out? So we just started brainstorming. It was like, well, you know what? The professional space is not being served right now through the veteran community. So we found that kind of space um, to kind of fit in and where, hey, again, Grunt Style Night, we love those companies. We're cool companies. Yeah. You know, Dan, for drill sergeant, you know, built it, built it to, you know. Talk about a charismatic dude too. Oh, you yeah. talk to him and he'll get you believing that you can do anything you, you want. want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it is, but for us, it was important to find a, a special space. But even then, you know, it's, it, ultimately it's about execution. You, there's always, there's always room for other companies. Like example, like I, example I have is, because some people say, well, what if people start copying you? I'm like, look, they can copy. It doesn't matter. It's about execution. Like when I, when I was watch, probably watch Shark Tank, right? But Mark Cuban invested in this company called Dude Wipes. And it was just guys selling baby wipes, just packaged for, for guys. Yeah. I mean, but nothing special or proprietary. It was just baby wipes. So they're saying Dude Wipes. So, and he put like, you know, a quarter million dollars in it and they're making millions of dollars. So yep. it's about marketing. But if you can find that space that's not being served, you definitely want to take advantage of it. But right. ultimately, it's, it's about execution. And I think with our team that we have, um, you know, with the finance background, marketing, healthcare, and and the message that we're giving, you know, people can try to copy us, but we think we're we're already we're already off to the races. So it'll be hard to catch up. Is reaching out to a bunker labs and doing like you know doing their uh, their programs that they have, going to their events that they have, their online stuff. Do you think that finding them or something similar to them is really the best first step for someone to make sure that they're doing it the right way? For sure, entrepreneurship. I, I think bunker that's their space. So Todd Connor, great guy. I don't know if you know yep. Todd, CEO. So. His thing was a lot of it. And you have different veterans, right? Like, luckily for us, like, we, you know, we had MBAs and we went to, you know, we got a GI Bill, but not, not everybody has the, and Maryland focuses on entrepreneurship, the program. So they taught us A to Z, but it was good to see it from a different angle. But you have people come out 
like you said, a lot of people don't know business, like mm-hmm. business 101. So going through a bunker lab, especially having an idea, um, I think it's a great resource. Cause they, and they're honest, they'll be honest with you because Todd will go back to, hey, you know, how much money have you made? Yeah. That's, that's the end of the day because you have all these other metrics. People are like, oh, I have like 500 Facebook likes. But like, okay, but how, how much sales do you have, right? Yeah. So, so going through Bunker Labs, and I'll, I'm a big fan of Bunker Labs. Like yeah. they, they do, and they're all about veterans. And in the community within Bunker Labs, everyone's trying to help each other, other veteran-owned businesses. So I think Bunker is a huge asset resource for other veteran entrepreneurs. And again, they're a nonprofit, so they don't take any equity. They're a free resource for veterans to use. So it's a yeah. great, it's a great program. And again, uh, you know, when it comes to social media, and of course, Assault Forward has a presence on social media. We'll get yeah. to that in just a moment. Yeah. There's been a substitution of like, oh, someone has a million Instagram followers. That's worth this much money. Here's the thing. If, if that's too much of your focus, a lot of companies that were trying to to market on social media using those social media influencers have found that the influence might not be what they thought it was and are starting right. to come back to more traditional ways of getting their products out there. Social media is important, but don't focus too much on it, exactly. I guess is what I'm saying. We've been speaking with Shah Chowdhury. He is co-founder of Assault Forward, Army veteran, also someone who's been uh, an activist on behalf of advocating for veterans over the years, doing a lot of great stuff. And Shah, if people want to find out more about Assault Forward, if people want to see the lovely picture of those three beautiful army veterans, I'm not saying that sarcastically at all, who started the company, where do they go to find that out? And where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so we're assaultforward.us. Again, we like the U.S. extension because, again, we're an American-made company. So that, that was for us. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram, uh, again, at Assault Forward. And our thing is Assault, A, I think A-S-S-A-U-L-T-F-W-D. But you come up, type in Assault Forward in Google, we're at, we're we, it took us a while, but we're toward the top of the Google hits now. Um, but uh, definitely on Facebook and Instagram and, mm-hmm. and on our website. And we actually started a blog recently, too. So we're kind of rotating different topics on the blog. See, now, had you gone to Hofstra, you'd have no question of how to spell assault. Yeah, but, yeah. You, know, there you, <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. facing Fordham guy. <laughs> of course, there's some of that ribbing that we're yeah. talking about. Well, we want to sh- thank Shah for joining us here on The Morning Briefing. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck with the company going forward. Thanks, Eric. Right, on. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.